Well, the hymn is number 225. Number 225. Let's stand together. We'll sing There's Power in the Blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. shake hands with two people you've not spoken to today. You might have to stretch to find them. Once you shake those hands, you can find a seat. Turn to number 297. Number 297.
Number 363, let others see Jesus in you. Number Stand, please, and ushers come as we sing. Father, thank you for the blessing of this evening and being here in your house to worship. I pray you'll uh, bless this time of giving. We pray that you'll also bless our pastor as he comes to share the word with us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, usually we're through singing by this time, but take your hymnal again. Look at number 365. I just played a song called Send the Light, but this is a great song on missions. Number 365, Song for the Nations. It's one of my favorite songs in the book. 365, may we be a shining light to the nation, a shining light to the peoples of the earth, till the whole world see the glory of your name. May your pure light shine through us. May we bring a word of hope to the nation, a word of light to the peoples of the earth, till the whole world knows their salvation through your name. May your mercy flow through us. May we be a healing balm to the nation, a healing balm to the peoples of the earth till the whole world knows the power of your name may your healing flow through us may we bring a song of joy to the nation a song of praise to the peoples of the earth till the for helping me do the offering tonight. <laughs> Go ahead there, Dr. Hicks. ABC? Why do Kentucky Baptists care about gambling? Folks just say it's entertainment, it's something they want to do for fun, so why are we bothered and why do we want our elected officials to oppose expanded gambling in Kentucky? We're much better off to have a society in Kentucky that values work, uh, work brings dignity, and so gambling opposes a good work ethic. Gambling violates the principle of contentment. The Bible says that uh, contentment's a good thing. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content with, with whatever I have. Uh, gambling makes a person desire to have more uh, far more than they could ever earn by working. Gambling violates the principle of responsible government. Government's job is to protect uh, its citizens, and yet gambling preys on its citizens. There's, there's no doubt that Kentucky has needs. There's no doubt that we have revenue needs. Expanded gambling is not the answer. Gambling will hurt our citizens. I'd urge you to contact your elected officials and just let them know that you oppose expanded gambling. By all means, encourage them to find other ways to create jobs and create wealth in Kentucky. But let's just decide that gambling is not going to be one of them. 
Right now, House Bill 137 is moving its way through uh, our um, legislator. It's a bill that's coming through there right up the road in Frankfurt. And you need to take action this week. I will. I'll tell you what I'll be doing. You know, a lot of us follow politics, but in many ways we follow the wrong politics that we really can't affect very much except voting in November and in May. But the real politics you and I can be, have an impact in is what goes on right here in Kentucky. We here in Kentucky already have racetracks and um, a lottery, but if we're not careful, that will expand into sports betting. Now what that means is you have bookies showing up all over the state, uh, a place you'll be able to go in, even do drive-through betting, or call up their office, go online, and it will be expanded sports betting. And this will be a way that Kentucky will sell this, our governor, as a way to increase revenue. Now, there's a likelihood this could pass. You just never know uh, what's going to happen. So one of the things I want you to do this week is uh, I hope you know, a lot of times we follow, we know who our uh, national leaders are, but a lot of times folks don't even know. And the thing about national leaders are um, you, you can certainly tell them things, but they get bombarded with information. And a lot of times that information they're hearing is not even from their district. And certainly if you're talking to the president, who knows what happens there. But my senator, the address of my house at 46 Denver Lane, and I've actually never met these people. I do send them a Christmas card and just let them, wish them, uh, let them know from our church we're praying for them as Senator, State Senator Alice Fogery Kerr, as well as um, our House Representative Stan Lee. Now, I know Stan Lee's a member over at um, oh, uh, Clay's Mill Road Baptist Church there, and so he's, he's an independent Baptist. Now, here at this location here, and both those folks are Republicans, but these type of issues a lot of times aren't Republican and Democratic issues because House Bill 137 was actually introduced by a Republican. Well, a lot of times on more local issues, it's really folks need to hear from the, their, their constituents such as us. Here at this location, 2500 Harrisburg Road, our state senator, their state and House uh, uh, um, representatives are both Democrats. That's Reginald Thomas, the state senator here for the church is our House Representative Kelly Flood. Now, they represent this address right here. I'll be contacting them from our church this week, letting them know that we don't want to see expanded gambling. I want to tell you the dangers of expanded gambling. I won't use the person's name, but I knew somebody in Georgia. This young man, literally, because what you can do right now is you can download these apps on your phone, and the bookies are in Las Vegas. The guy was literally, Brother Heard, wasting his money talking to these, this bookie somewhere in Las Vegas, just, just throwing his money. I mean, his wife, literally, they could not even pay their bills. The church food pantry was helping their family out. Not because he didn't work, because he was wasting his money. Sports betting does not help anyone. What, I want to tell you how, who they target. They target young men starting about college age that's when it begins i had friends that were involved in this a lot of times at these uh sports bars the places all around our city 
there's guys in there literally taking bets from folks on their on these devices and on from their cell phones now those those bookies they're betting through are probably in las vegas but what's this what this bill is going to introduce here is you can just why go to las vegas when you can just do sports betting right here in kentucky because it's being sold as we're losing money because after all people are going to bet anyway so we might as well capture that money so I want to encourage you, it's House Bill 137. You find out, you can actually go on the uh, Kentucky Legislator website, enter your address, and find out who your representative is. You have a state senator, and you have a House of Representative rep, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, representative, and you contact both of those and say, hey, House Bill 137, we do not want expanded sports gambling. I want you to know, a lot of times you say, Daniel, these folks, they've already made up their mind. But remember when you're an elected official. Do you know what the most important thing is when you're an elected official? There's only one thing that matters to every elected official. What do they want? They want to be reelected. They don't care about anything else. They really don't. And they need to know that voters, not just, not there's a difference when they're hearing from lobbyists out of Washington around the world. Those folks don't vote. I vote. Sherry Osmond votes. I don't, I've never missed an election. I'm not doing this toot my horn. I'm actually a voter. I actually read the newspaper. I follow what's going on. At our great KBC, we have a, a gentleman that follows what's going on in Frankfurt and notifies the churches to say, hey, this is passing through. Uh, Kentucky Baptists need to be contacting their legislators because what happens is... All of a sudden, when Senator Reginald Thomas gets, you know, emails, phone calls, and he starts seeing, hey, you know, 47 people have contacted me and said, hey, they're not, they don't want this. It, not 47 people, 47 voters. Make sure you tell them that you're a voter. Like, you actually cast a ballot. He, he at least pauses and thinks about, maybe I need to, maybe we need to pull back, or maybe we need to wait, or maybe we need to stall this bill and take another look and see what type of uh, impact it's going to have. So it is important that we as Bible-believing Christians, that you as a Kentucky Baptist, you are aware of what's going on up in uh, Frankfurt there because it does have an impact for, for our state. And our local representatives are the ones. I tell you, you can have so much more of an impact on local and state politics than national politics, but we get sucked into the national stuff, and that's our least impact. You need to know who your state senator and your state representatives are. So that I did, I want to share that. That's House Bill 137, which is expand, expanded sports gambling. And we will have it all over the place once they open up. Alabama went down this road. Listen, I want to tell you another story about this before I move on. They wanted to expand it bingo. Now, this is about 10 years ago. I know it sounds comical. When you, we hear the word bingo, what do you think? You actually think having a little card where all of a sudden you're like putting your chip. That is not what bingo is, based on this bill that made it through Alabama. They revoked this. They went back to that. Bingo became a slot machine <laughs> that you would pull the lever, put a dollar or however much it is, and these you know, numbers would come up, and you, it's basically, it's a casino they're running. They're calling it under the disguise of bingo. I am not kidding. I drove up Highway 78. Sherry used to drive, work there, Progressive Insurance. I drove up through middle of nowhere, Highway 78. Out of nowhere, these bingo parlors, and it was a joke. 
A joke because it's not bingo. It's a slot machine, Brother Herd. They were popping up every quarter mile. You, you drive out, where did that come from? I didn't know there was a building there. They were getting those portable shed buildings, these operators, and literally almost overnight putting a bingo parlor right there. The state eventually shut them all down because it was just, it was a, it was just a sham. We were sold a bill of goods, at least the state was, that was not bingo. I want y'all to know, this will happen. It's not if, it will happen in Kentucky. Sports gambling means you'll be betting on everything and anything, and there'll be bookie services all over this place. So that is why uh, we want to stop House Bill 137. Elections have consequences. You, when you elect someone like Andy Bashir that maybe has different values than the former governor, you will see he will sign off on that type of stuff. So you're going to stop House Bill 137. It has to stop in the, in the legislative part. All right, so that's my politics speech tonight. Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11. I hope you bring your, have your bulletin here. You want to slip back in the back and grab one because I want you to pull it out. We're going to be looking here at our bulletin. And we're going to be looking at a great passage of Scripture. Obviously, all Scripture is a great passage here. But we're going to see uh, several different sections. And we're going to see about the execution of James. We're going to see where uh, Southern Baptist Sin Relief Ministry came from, as well as we're going to see how Peter was miraculously rescued from Herod, and Herod died. So open your Bible, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Follow along here in your Bible, up here on the board. In those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. So what's happening here? Antioch is the church that was, uh, Holy Spirit came down. That's where Barnabas and Paul were ministering, teaching the church. What was going on there was the Christ, they were first called Christians. The word Christians, remember from last Sunday night, means a little Christ. It was a word used as mockery, but certainly it's one that God has uh, great plans for us. We identify as followers, as little Christ, meaning we're, we, we, we were proud to be a follower of Christ. So something that started out as mockery ended up being a blessing for who Christians are, who we are today. So this, uh, this prophet stood up, and we've got a severe famine coming throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, look at this, according to his own ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. So down in Jerusalem, that's where Judea is, down there, that central part of Israel, a great famine came through, and there were tough times. Well, up in Antioch, that's in current day, southern Turkey, and all of a sudden, they realize, hey, our fellow brothers and sisters are hurting down there, they need relief. We as Southern Baptists, we certainly support our North American Mission Board. There's an arm of that, uh, uh, there's a division meaning called Send Relief. It actually comes from this Bible verse right here. Send Relief is when disaster, when famine, when earthquake, when floods, when something terrible, a hurricane comes and hits a part of the United States, and all of a sudden, uh, there's a great need that certainly uh, occurred. I mean, I remember... Um, Probably the greatest of these is back in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina came 
Even this church, I believe, was part of that. Many churches would, Southern Baptists, because there were so many, I mean, literally churches were ruined from that flood. I mean, lost a lot of sons. Some didn't recover, but thousands of Southern Baptists descended upon the city of New Orleans to start cleaning up and putting back lives uh, through that. And that, that is our sin relief. That's what we call uh, the Baptist uh, disaster relief as well. It's under that as well. And that's what we see right here. When natural disaster happens, we need to be able to respond. And it certainly will happen. You know, literally, you're just one tornado, one big storm away from natural disaster occurring. And we want to be a church and be brothers that are able to respond. Verse 30, they did this, sending it to the, el to the elders, that means the leaders there in the church, by means of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul, what happened is they were still there in, up in Antioch, and they heard about this great famine, so they collected an offering. They collected a special offering and brought it down there. This is important for us because we see about what it looks like. And this is where your bulletin insert comes in. Look here, follow up here on the board. Number one, if you have your bulletin, we're going to fill in these blanks. If you have a pen, piece of paper. This is why send relief and relief ministry is so important. Unity looks like generosity. God wants you and I to be generous folks. We want to be a blessing to other people. And when you're unified, meaning when you're together, that's a, one of the signs that's going to spill out of that. Are you a generous person? I want to tell you, if you're, if you, when you're unified, that means you're on the same page. That means when you see another sister church or area of the United States that's hurting, you think, well, what can I do to help? What's going on here? And that's, that's a sign that there's a generosity, there's support. And a lot of times when you, when you give that type of support, you have no clue what ends up happening. You just trust the Lord. We do not know well, how uh, the impact we actually have. A lot of times you never hear from those folks. You know, one of the good things that our church does is we support, um, through our missions committee, every November, we have collected, you know, we have a, a missions committee, and they uh, have point, I believe, 0.8%, 0.08% of undesignated offerings they manage here in our church. Well, back in November, we collect, we sent, it was over uh, $2,500 in gift cards, I believe it was 125 gift cards, $25 gift cards, and we sent them to um, Oneida, ba Oneida Baptist Bible Institute, Oneida Baptist Institute, which is a boarding school there in Clay County, Kentucky. And what's a blessing for our church is we probably get back 30 thank you notes from them. And I want you to know those folks that are teaching at that school have very limited resources. You know, Todd designed their building down there. We've regularly sent teams down there to help support them. And we give them a special Thanksgiving gift so they can go to Walmart and buy, uh, and buy gifts. And that's a blessing that we're able to do that. That's relief ministry. It's a thank you gift. And they appreciate that. And a lot of y'all probably didn't even know we even did that. But your, your, your giving here at our church goes to support different types of ministries such as that. 
God traditionally works in the world through people. What this means is, if you want to make an impact in other people's life, it's going to be you that actually does it. You're the one who's going to, who's going to, who's going to be a blessing to someone else. And it's easy for us to say, well, the government needs to handle that. The city can fix this problem. You just need to call this number here. God wants to use you. And I think that's what we see. This church in Antioch, and they had very limited resources. They thought, we need to at least do something. There's a famine down there. You know the brothers and sisters are hurting. Let's collect an offering. Number three, we're also to help relieve the suffering of our brothers and sisters, even though we've never met. Those we've never met, we're expected. So just because you don't know someone does not mean we don't help them. They are believers and followers in Christ. We're expected to help them. And likely, you'll never meet them. You have no clue of the impact that you're to have. This is what it looks like when you have a generous spirit. God honors and He blesses that. And last we see here, the model Christian life. This is all from this section here on famine relief. Is actually two parts. And James 2.20 tells us, without, without works, your faith is actually dead. That means a dead faith is good, or a alive faith, if you're going to have faith in Christ, it's going to be displayed through your works. So if you aren't, if you aren't doing anything for the Lord, faith and works, they go hand to glove. Now, our faith is what saves us. Belief in Jesus is what saves us. But if you're saved, you're going to be actually wanting and serving through kingdom work. That's why for our trip, there should be numerous mission opportunities. There should be numerous opportunities for you to get plugged in and say, I'm here and I'm ready to serve. These brothers right here, they said, we need to send some famine relief. And they took up an offering. So that was a transition that's about to happen here. So now what's happened is we're now moving back to Jerusalem. So look what happens here. That's what brings Barnabas and Saul back to, uh, back to Judea and to Jerusalem. All right, chapter 12. Look in your Bibles here. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. Now we say, who is this King Herod? This is, the great, this is the grandson of Herod the Great. Now, who is Herod the Great? Herod the Great is the one, back in Matthew chapter 2, who, when the wise men showed up and said, a king has been born, he questioned who this king was, sent the wise men down to Bethlehem, even though they read the Bible, how Micah 5, 2 could quote it where he was born, and said he wanted to go and worship the king, when in fact he wanted to kill baby Jesus. Well, we know the story. This is a Christmas story. Jesus had to go into Egypt, escape. We know that um, King Herod died shortly after that. So what happened when uh, his son, who was named Herod Archelaus, was ruling in that region of Judea, so they didn't go back to Bethlehem where they had been living. They went back to their hometown originally there where they had came from, Mary and Joseph, while they were engaged, which was Nazareth. That's why 
Jesus was raised in Nazareth because they did not want to go back to any territory. Why did they have to flee? What did King Herod do? He killed all the boys two years and younger in Bethlehem. I mean, it was a slaughter. King Herod was ruthless. The Herodian dynasty is one of murder. And it was one throughout the New Testament, starting with Jesus, that constantly opposed. I mean, think about it. Look what Herod did. Herod tried to kill Jesus. Couldn't. Jesus got away. He did kill John the Baptist. Served his head on a platter. And now he's about to kill James, who James is Jesus' half-brother. Or no, this is James the Apostle. There's actually two James. You'll see the other one here in a minute. And then he's about to try to kill Peter right here. But miraculously, the prison gates open. Herod, throughout the New Testament, is trying to kill the prophets and then kill the church. And that's what we see. King Herod is attacking those who belong to church. Why is King Herod doing this? He's trying to win favor of the Jews. He's trying to win over support. The the Herodian dynasty was ruthless. If you disagreed with them, you die. That's how it went. That's why King Herod the Great, when he was troubled, when the wise men showed up and says, we're here to worship the king that's been born, it says King Herod was troubled. And it says the whole kingdom then was troubled because if the king's mad, knowing this guy's going to kill you, you need to be troubled too. So we all started shaking when King Herod... So here, this is what's going on here. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. Look at this. He executed James, John's brother, with the sword. This here is James, one of the twelve. Now there's going to be another James too. I'm going to introduce you all to him later. Just like that, one of the twelve disciples died. I mean, right off the bat, killed him. That's John's brother. He had been with Jesus. So now we just lost one of the twelve. Look what happens. Verse 3, this is how ruthless he was. When he saw that it pleased the Jews. Now you say, well, I thought that some of the Jews were believers. Remember, we have believing Jews that have really kind of gone underground in the church because of persecution against them. And then the other Jews had, were not believing Jews, meaning they've rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They're the ones that helped execute Jesus. But they know there's a lot of believers in Jerusalem and Judea in this region that are now following and turning to the Lord. So when King Herod saw that pleased the Jews, what does he thought? You know, when you have one victory, one win, you think, well, hey, they really like that. I just killed James. Where's Peter at? He proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of the unleavened bread. That's during Passover, right after Passover. They did, he did this. So when all the Jews were there in Jerusalem, he says, let me show you something. I'm going to win some favor. Uh, go find Peter. So now Peter's locked up. Do you know what he's planning on doing, Peter? At the festival, while all the Jews were there, his plans were to execute Peter. Peter is on the chopping block. The next day, he's scheduled to die. James just got killed by the sword. That means he was beheaded. Peter's next. So look what happens right here. 
After the arrest, verse 4, he put them in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 soldiers around them to guard them, intending to bring them out to the people after the Passover because we're, we're going to make we're going to make a mockery of Peter. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, don't miss this verse, but the church was praying for him fervently. This was a political move by Herod. He'd already gone after James. Next, he won favor with him. Next is Peter. We have to remember, Herod represents Rome right now. And Rome had given him his authority. So he wanted, Rome wanted peace in this region here in Israel. So he wanted, he understood Christianity, these believers in Jesus, these new Christians were growing. So a good way to stamp out this movement was to execute their leader, who was Peter. And that was, that was his plan. He, he is just, he, you know, Rome didn't want, Rome there in Italy knew this region of Israel was a very religious area. A lot of religious things go on there. So Herod is basically there to keep things low. Let's not get out of hand. We don't want to upset the people in Rome because he wanted to move on up. That was his goal. So what's happening here is Peter's in jail and the church is praying for him. And it says here they're not just praying for him. They're praying for him fervently. I mean, they want God to, they know the only way for Peter to be saved is for an intervention. There are some things in our lives that will only happen if God intervenes. And if you're not praying about it, it will not happen. And that's what we're about to see here. But we're going to see an intervention from the Lord that's going to occur. Verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out for a trial... That very night, meaning that morning was supposed to be his trial, and you realize the trial is not fair. The trial means execution. Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers. Now there's 16 soldiers around him. While the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Now look at this. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke up. I think what's interesting is Peter was actually asleep. Now think about it. If you were in prison, knowing you're about to be executed that morning, would you be asleep? Peter was. He's asleep, knowing that morning is, is his day. This angel pokes him and says, wakes him up and says, quick, get up. And look at this. The chains fell off his wrist. All of a sudden, it's the middle of the night, and they fall off. No longer is he chained. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. Do you know, if that was us, we probably would think, do I need to put any clothes on? I'm getting out of here. Like, the last thing I need is to get dressed and put my shoes on. But the angel's now telling Peter, okay, God, put your clothes on. Put your shoes on. It's like an adult talking to a child. All right, we're going to church. Put your clothes on. Put your shoes on. Time to go see the Lord. So the angel's you know, coaching, um, coaching Peter what to do. And the good thing is, 
I love the middle of verse 8, right? middle of verse 8 says, and he did. So we know Peter is dressed at this point. Wrap your cloak around you. You're putting your cloak on him. So you put your little cloak on. We don't wear clothes today, but they wore them back then. He told them, and follow me. So Peter obeyed the angel. He got dressed. So he went out, and he followed. And he did not know what the angel did. And he did not know that what the angel did was really happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. So he's probably thinking, this is a dream. This is something that's happening. So we're, wa- we're literally walking out of the jail. Look at what's happening here. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened in the by itself. So right now, you remember city gates, or cities here are enclosed by a gate. The gate opens up by itself. Peter walks, Peter along with this angel, we're just walking through the street. We just walk past 16 guards. Prison door flies open. My chains fall off. I walk right through. And what's happening here is it says, and suddenly the angel left him. And what that means when it says the angel left him, that meant literally Peter opens his eyes. He's, he, he realizes, I'm outside the city. And I'm not having a vision. And he finds himself alone. So when Peter came to himself, he basically woke up. He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp. And from all that, the Jew, and all that what the Jewish people expected. What he means by that verse They wanted him dead. He was going to be a mockery in the morning. They expected to kill him. What God, what what the Jews wanted as to make a mockery of Peter, God freed. This is an answer to those that were praying. Keep going here. Verse 12. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark where many had assembled and were praying. Again, what are they doing? They're praying for Peter because they know Peter is the leader of the church. He knocked at the door of the outer gate. So apparently Mary here, she had to be a wealthy lady because she had a house large enough to have a lot of folks stay there, have a prayer meeting, and she had an, an outer gate and she had a servant girl as well. And the servant named Rhoda came in answer. She recognized Peter's voice. And because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. She was so excited because they're praying for this man, and now he's knocking on the door in the middle of the night. They were up all night lifting up the Lord. Have you ever stayed up all night and prayed for someone and prayed for God to move? Here is the church doing that. Look at the answer. It's like they didn't even believe God was actually going to answer their prayer. You're out of your mind, they told her, Rhoda. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. They literally did not believe what they're praying for was actually going to happen. They're thinking, Rhoda, it's an angel. Something something else. It's not Peter. That man is locked up. He's guarded 
heavily. Verse 16, Peter, however, kept on knocking. They wouldn't open the door. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Finally, they opened the door and there he is. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent. That's real important because Peter knew when those guards woke up, they were going to come looking for him. They were going to find these believers. They were going to, he knew he didn't have much time. Because they were coming after him because uh, the guards, if they couldn't account for the prisoners, will find out what happens to them for that. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers. It's interesting, it says James. We say, well, who's James? James had just been executed. But that's not the James we're talking about. Keep your finger here. You want to flip back in your Bible. Who is this other James? This James here is the half-brother of Jesus. Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 11 and flip over to 1 Corinthians 15. Look what the Bible says here. There's two Jameses in the Bible. One just got executed. He was one of the, inner, he was one of the uh, 12. He was one of the inner disciples of Jesus. But then... Jesus also had a half-brother named James. And it's really interesting about James. James here, this other James, he didn't become a follower of Jesus until after Jesus' resurrection. This James was a family member of Jesus. Now, you know, many times family is some of the hardest people to lead to faith in Christ. Because your family, they know who you are. They've known your good, the bad, everything you've done in your life. So they know your old, old self. So they might not buy into everything you're saying when, especially when you're Jesus and you claim to be the Messiah because you thought, I grew up playing soccer with you. I know who you are, Jesus. When did you, how did you become the Messiah? But look at this passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. And what's happening here, Paul's listening about all the resurrection appearances that Jesus made. And these three verses are important. Verse, verse 5 says, And that he also appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve. So we know Jesus appeared to the twelve. So we're naming out the people. Look at this. Then he appeared to over 500. So this is the order of Jesus' resurrection. He appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to all the twelve disciples. Then look at verse 6, it says, he appeared to over 500 believers. Like, folks are seeing the resurrected Messiah, Jesus. 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep, meaning some have died by now, because it's been several years. Now look at verse 7. Look what it says here. Then he appeared to James. Why would they name that James there? Because James wasn't included in the 12. And he wasn't included in the 500. That means, church, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, he did not get saved. He did not become a follower until after Jesus ascended into heaven. He became a believer after Jesus left, after the resurrection. It says he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now love verse 8. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. 
Meaning, Paul says, Jesus also appeared to me that I'm writing this. So, he was included in the uh, resurrection appearances. So, Daniel, where was that appearance at? That appearance occurred on his Damascus road as he was going to actually arrest and imprison and execute believers. Jesus appeared to him. James was single-handedly pulled out. James had the same father as, or same mother as Jesus, and that was Mary. They had different fathers. Joseph was his father. God was the father of Jesus. So James was someone that was right there in Nazareth, right there the whole time growing up with little Jesus. And they, um, but it's interesting. I think that's interesting. He did not become a disciple until after Jesus was gone. If you have children and you have family members and they're not saved, they're not believers, you even pray all the way up. So when you go to heaven, if they still aren't believers, maybe they will become a believer after you leave. After you're in heaven. They'll see through your faithfulness for that. Alright, I wanted to show you that. I think that was interesting that James was singled out. If you flip back in your Bible to Acts chapter 12, verse 17. It says, and he, tell these things to James. I mean, verse 17, 12, 17. And the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. So Peter could not stay in that house. He basically said, I'm alive. This is how God freed me. This is how God performed a great miracle. You need to let the brothers know that the Spirit of the Lord is still working. And that's why I'm not, I'm not going to be executed. Now look what happens here. This is what happens to these guards and what happened with Herod. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers. That's an understatement. And I said, what had happened to Peter? We have a massive problem right now. Do you know what the commotion was about? The commotion was with the guards. These 16 guards were in trouble. They were in great trouble. After Herod had searched and did not find him, I promise you, they really looked for him. We don't know where Peter is right now. All we know is he's nowhere to be found, and he probably went to that house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, and Rhoda. I mean, they, they probably turned her house upside down looking for that man. He interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. All 16 of those guards died just like that. That was the end of their life. That's how Herod did business. Peter escaped. Those guards passed away. <coughs> this is an important transition. Why was Herod in Jerusalem? Because the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is the, the following right there after Passover. That's a one-week Jewish festival that he had come in there to win favor. Herod also, this gentleman's father had been there and um, made mockery of Jesus. Remember, he wanted him to do a show. And here we are later. But what happened is the reason Herod was in Jerusalem was to win favor with the Jews. And this is an important transition statement. Herod, remember he really doesn't, you know, Judea, Judah, that's where all the religious people are. This guy's Roman. He went down, meaning elevation, we're always going south when you leave Jerusalem. 
down to Caesarea. Caesarea is the most important Roman city in Israel. It's where Pilate would live. It's right there by the sea. He went to Caesarea and stayed there. That means there's a transition that's occurring here. Because Herod's thinking, whatever, I have no clue what happened to Peter. Just kill the guards, I'm going back. I'm going to what's most important for me. And that's me moving up the Roman line. And that's going to happen in Caesarea. So he's going back to where he wants to go. And now look what's going to happen to Herod. Verse 20. Last section we're going to read tonight. This is important. This is the same man here that was going after Jesus, that was going after James, did kill, did kill James, and now he's trying to kill Peter. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. We don't know why. Those are coastal cities there in Israel. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over, winning over Blasphemous, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, that meant this man Blastus, tended to Herod, these people from Sidon and Tyre, they asked for peace. Because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. Meaning, Herod would have the ability to take care of these other two cities over here, of Tyre and Sidon. So they need a good relationship with Herod and with Rome. So what that means is, we're going to become friends with someone who tends to the king. So he won over this person, Blastus. And look what happened. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. So he's given a speech to these folks. And they're going to butter up this man. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a god and not of a man. Because when you want something from Herod, and he's a very arrogant, cocky man, obviously you're going to speak very highly of him. At once, look at this, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Do you know Herod really was a key person that was standing in the way of the growth of the church. And God knew that man needed to be removed. He did everything he could to oppose the early church. And now he's got these people praising him as a, a God. And he's enjoying it. He loves the praise of men. An angel killed Herod right there. Right there in Caesarea. He fell down and died and was eaten by worms. We do not know how that occurred. But God allowed that to happen. Because the Lord removed and took out Herod, something very significant happened. This man was a stumbling block. Do you know, we have to pray for stumbling blocks in our lives to be removed and in the life of our city and the country and the world so that the gospel flourishes. Say, well, what are you talking about? In Georgia, I was playing in crusade. I have to be careful because I won't. 
were live. And there was someone, we put this team together. We were playing a big citywide, countywide crusade at the local high school. And there was one person standing in the way preventing that from happening. You think, I wonder why. Because the man was a homosexual. And he didn't like our group. Because we were Bible-believing Christians. And at first, I didn't quite understand. I didn't know all these facts. But as we kept praying, Brother Heard, and I kept seeing why couldn't it take place, what was happening? Someone pulled me aside and kind of said, you know, this is what's really going on behind the scenes. And that group had to pray through that person. For that person to basically... Move out of the way for that event to happen. And a lot of times, we don't realize the, the spiritual darkness that can surround us. I'll give you another example. Again, I have to be careful, but 25 years ago, I was talking to somebody who went on a mission trip to Vermont. And the gentleman was telling me, he says, Dean, I want you to know we were doing mission work in an area that you won't be very far from. And while we were working at a church, there were people outside, listen to this, protesting us. Like they do not want mission teams there in Vermont. And he says, it's like there's a, just a darkness that was all over the place. They want the churches to die. They don't want mission teams. They don't want gospel preachers. The devil can have strongholds over certain areas. If there's a stronghold, a demonic stronghold here in Lexington or in Kentucky, the only way a breakthrough is going to happen, Broadway Baptist, is you're praying for those breakthroughs to hold. Just as that gentleman 25 years ago says, Daniel, it's like there was just this evilness all over the state, the area we were working in. It was just, they just kept hitting roadblock. Missionaries talk about this on the mission field all the time. I experienced in Georgia when we couldn't have a citywide crusade because of one, literally one man was standing in the way. And he was lost. And that's what Herod was doing to the church. And God saw it. And here this man is claiming he's now a God. God has said, he was accepting praise for himself being a God. And God said, I'll show you. And that man died. The Lord removed that stumbling block. Now look what happens. Verse 24. This is what happens when a stumbling block is removed. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. Do you know there could be stumbling blocks here in our church, here in our city, in this state that's preventing, it's a, it's a demonic stronghold that's preventing this verse being fulfilled in 2020. Verse 25, after they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas, remember Barnabas is the gentleman of encouragement, and Saul, they were right there in Jerusalem. Or they were headed to Jerusalem. They had been up in um, Antioch. They returned to Jerusalem 
And look at this. This is where we see discipleship starting to occur. Taking along John, who is called Mark. And they have this young man named Mark, and they're developing and they're mentoring him along the way. That's the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was right there the entire time listening and hearing and seeing these stories that's occurred. I think what I get from this passage today, in conclusion, we're going to have our invitation here. Herod had to be removed. He had, there was a demonic territory, a stronghold that he was holding over the church. Maybe there's an area in your life or you need to ask the Lord to pinpoint areas that there's a Herod somewhere that you know of that needs to either be removed or it needs to change or the guy needs to get saved or the girl needs to get saved. Something drastic has to happen because this person is preventing the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit from flourishing. God, I pray this, this evening, that we will see how your word moved among the folks. And Lord, you removed King Herod. He stood in the way of the church from flourishing. He was determined to kill Peter. He had already killed James. He had gone after Jesus. His grandfather had tried to kill Jesus. Lord, I pray. Lord, that you will remove Herod's in our life. I pray tonight, if there's anybody here, they need to respond to you. That this invitation, this time of response will not go by without. Lord, we ask, we beg for your word to flourish among us. Move among our folks tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.